This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to try to end some confusion. We're going to get somebody else to do the show. <laughs> that would help, but this <laughs> might do. We're going to define some of the most annoying words in wine. Sustainable, organic, biodynamic, and the undefinable natural. Oh, yes. I'm Rick Cushman, and I'm sustainable. Well, I'm Paul Wagner, and I'm natural. <laughs> this is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're going to explain what people mean when they say a wine is organic, sustainable, biodynamic, or natural. And advocates of all of those things will no doubt be ticked at us. We have (laughs) listener questions about box wine and about how climate affects your palate. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs, including the natural ones. Stay with us. listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are going natural, sort of. I hope we're keeping our clothes on. For for sure. I think we'd be violating some major FCC rules even by thinking about it. But uh, it's not just natural. We're going to talk about a couple of other things, too. We're going to talk about organic, sustainable, biodynamic, and, of course, natural. Yeah, except there's a problem with that, which is that a lot of those words don't have accepted definitions in the world of wine. All the better for us to muck things up. Okay, good. We've talked about this in pieces, and we've even done a show that is some of this, but we thought we'd try to tie it together and try to make it a little more clear. Then we could spend five more shows undoing the confusion that we've created. Right, undoing the damage. (laughs) Yes. Well, we are good at damage. You know, let's talk a little bit, before we get to what those words are, about kindness. One of the reasons, or a few of the reasons, why there is this confusion and why there aren't accepted definitions. And I think that some of it is, as I always love to make fun of, it's the sort of church of wine approach to almost everything, which is my way or the highway. My way is correct, and the way everybody else makes their wine is somehow flawed and makes them less than perfect people. Right. And I know, because I'm perfect. Well, Paul, you are, (laughs) except for your lack of judgment to do a show with me, but other than that. But no, the truth of it is you're right, and it is, is, um, look, you know, uh, you run one of the the most well-respected, and I always uh, refuse to say this about you, but except that you have actual other people in your office that are respected. Which is but one, right. one of the most well-respected wine marketing companies in, in, in America. And so you know that, that good marketing is not knocking down the other person. It's by saying what's good about what you do. But instead, right. you just nailed what one of the big problems is, is, is it's, it's everybody markets their own favorite thing by saying there's something wrong with everybody else. And, you know, it's, I use the kind of off-color example of this uh, as a way to show people why it's wrong to do that. Which is, I always say, it's a little bit like standing at one end of a swimming pool and saying, it's okay, it's okay, you can get in down here. I'm not peeing in the pool. <laughs> and it, it doesn't really encourage people to get in the pool at your end. It encourages people to go to the beach or yeah, go to the mountains yeah. cause no, but because what you've just said is most of the people are peeing in the pool. Yeah, I know. There's another piece to it, too, and this is one of the, my least favorite pieces about it, which is in the wine 
writing, you know, whether it's books or stories or or and in and sort of the and blogs and and the, a lot of folks who carry the word out to the public that there's their own career building involved. They sort of hook right. they hook their career onto one of these things. Well, you know, as a journalist, that I mean, there's there's always that very careful line. You're supposed to be impartial, but at the same time, you are supposed to be able to draw some conclusions. To me, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that I always find fascinating about the people who write about wine is so many of them are absolutely willing to tell winemakers and winery owners how they should run their business, mm. and they don't have any money in the game. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some bad food writers who do the same thing. You know, I, as an aside, um, I do we, as a, as a part of that media group, um, I've been on enough uh, press tours with right. a group of three or four or five, and there's so often there's one person. I was going to say one guy because it usually is a guy <laughs> that wherever he goes needs to tell the winemaker how to make his wine. Right. This is really good, but if you just know, right. and, <laughs> make your and own wine then. I, I, yeah, exactly. That, if, if you want to criticize the winemaker's wine, go ahead and criticize the winemaker's wine. Once you start telling people how to run their business, I, right. I'm sorry, I've watched the, the, the fingernails bleed as they scratch through this stuff trying to make it work. And if you don't have any skin in the game, it's very easy to sit in the back and take pot shots and say, well, they should go all organic or they shouldn't do anything organic or they should... You know what? Unless you're putting your child's college tuition into something exactly that's going right. to be affected by the outcome, you save your advice. And, and the other piece is this, and I think this is another thing that, that it, it infects all of the, the definition of wines, but certainly, certainly these kinds of words, which is that for whatever reason, and I don't know, this is not just wine, but this is like a bad human nature where if you're not part of my religion— you are you, there's something wrong. So if, well, that's if, true. If, if I like, <laughs> that's true. So if I like my wines natural and you don't, there's then then you're a bad person. If I like not only are the other wines bad, but right. the people who like those other right. wines are also bad because we all know that God only favors the makers of one kind of wine. Right. And, and right, and as if there, there there won't be enough of their kind of wine. You know, if, if or, I want, or whatever. even worse, as if all of the world should be their kind of wine, so nobody has any choice at all. Right. And doesn't that sound interesting? It does not. <laughs> All right. Well, well since we gosh, are such I think interesting we've guys, just solved the problems yes, so, of the world. Yes, just be be like us. Let's get the Pope on Only the line. Only be like us. I think we can. <laughs> I think we're ready for the Mideast crisis. That's it. All right. Let's talk about these words. Let's start with the the probably the easiest, which is sustainable. Which is not an easy word at all. I know, but it's the easiest, as I'm just saying. Yeah. The the whole philosophy behind sustainable is that you would like to run your vineyard and ultimately your winery with as little human intervention as possible because every time you have to add something into the system, think of the business or the vineyard as an ecosystem, every time you have to add something into the system, it means that the system isn't sustainable on its own. It can't, it can't be the perpetual motion machine that you would like our Earth to be. Um, the people. Right. Who... And an example of that might be, for example, that instead of using pesticides, some people use bugs that eat the bad bugs. Right. Or instead of using fertilizer, you plant crops that are then disked into the soil right. to replace the same nutrients. Often called cover crops, if cover people crops. heard the phrase. Yeah. Right. Now, the people who really spearheaded this are right here within a few miles of the station because they're the people at Lodi. Lodi developed the original standards for sustainable viticulture for the world, really, uh, called the Lodi Rules. 
And an awful lot of different viticultural regions around the country have adopted those. And they basically track what you do, how much effort you put into the vines, how much other stuff you put into the vines. And they give you some sort of general guidelines on what's sustainable and what indicates that you probably don't have a sustainable situation going on at your vineyard. Yeah, another, and there's another uh, um, phrase that gets used in, or, or a piece of it gets used in that some people debate whether this is appropriate or not, which is also financial. Financially sustainable, it doesn't right, cost too absolutely. much. Absolutely, because if it's not financially sustainable, it isn't going to work. Right. That's where we get back to our comment about the wine writers, who are always happy to tell people how to do things, but some of those things may not be financially sustainable. Right, right. Now, and, uh, the one thing I do want to say is that you can get certified. Right. You and, can get right. certified. In order to get certified, you pretty much have to document a number of years' activity, and I mean everything in the vineyard. Number of tractor passes, number of, uh, you know, whether you put on fertilizer, whether you used a pesticide, whether you irrigate, all of that stuff adds up to stuff that you have to fill out on the forms, which is why there are any number of vineyard owners who farm this way out of anyway. utter, utter conviction right. and yet can't be bothered to fill out the forms because it's stacks and stacks of paperwork. Right. And, and it isn't even... In some cases, it's it's not so much moral conviction; it's just smart farming. You know, when you talk to some—I mean, the people I know in the vineyards and my clients—when they ask me, they say, "Gosh, you know, we we do farm sustainable, but but going through that, it's just such an incredibly complicated legal process. We don't want to do it." And and I always tell them, "You know what? You have kids, yes." Do your kids play in the vineyard? Our kids sleep in the vineyard. In the summer, they like to go take the tent out and sleep in the middle of the vineyard. I said, if you tell people that, they will understand that you're farming a vineyard the way most people would like to see a vineyard farm. You're farming it so that it's safe enough that your kids can play in it. Right. So that's more or less sustainable. You know, maybe the really simple thing is it's thinking about, like, going hiking. You pack when you leave the woods. They should be just the way you when, leave. When no you got trace. Into, yeah, you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We are sorting out the worst and most annoying words, uh, besides Rick and Paul. Uh, <laughs> and, Rick being way more annoying than Paul. Well, it's, it's a matter of taste, as, <laughs> as is everything in wine. Uh, the next up, and uh, which is complicated because it's complicated in the food world and everything, is organic. Yes, because it's not even. There are different things that we talk about when we talk about organic. Right. There's organic wines. There's organic grapes. Right. And that's, that's the first distinction is that there are people who farm organically, and then there are people who make wine organically. And it, this also uh, gets back to the sustainable concept that you're not adding uh, anything that the earth does not produce to your vineyard is how you farm organically. So you would add no chemical fertilizers, no chemical pesticides, no chemical herbicides or any of that. Which also to point out, as you say that, though, that doesn't mean you can't use some pesticides because there are some plants that can be ma- massively right. poisonous some of the things, right? Marigolds repel a number of different insects, right. and you can put marigolds around your vineyards, and that will do that. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't mean that you don't try to manage pests in your vineyard. It means you know, that you do I've not heard- use... Go I was, ahead. I was You're going to make a bad joke. I I'm was. Ready for it. Well, I, I think this is actually a good joke. I, I've heard that um, <laughs> there are a n- number of vineyard managers have taken to broadcasting our show yeah. in the vineyards, <laughs> and all of the pests and varmints go running. I would have thought the pests would they, have been attracted to our show. Well, it's you know, unfortunately they lose all. Everybody works there too, but you know, <laughs> yeah. all the employees quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the people who farm organically 
um, then draw a distinction that organic is a purer form than sustainable because sustainable says you should limit the amount you use and organic says you should use no um, uh, petrochemicals in your vineyard. Now, that's a question I think that's beyond the scope of this show, but I would say that if, if the only thing you can put on your grapes is your things produced organically in this, in the, by the earth, it still means you can put lead and uranium and arsenic in your vineyard because Petroleum. those are natural yeah, organic just, elements. Just, so it, You can't refine the oil, but you can certainly pump it over. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, right. And so all of those things move, move together. And then... And but, then I, but I do, I'm, I do need to defend for my friends who farm organically. Everyone involved in this process is motivated pretty much, pretty much by the same token, which is the goal is to produce something that introduces as few outside petrochemical elements as is possible. Absolutely. In fact, in none of these cases... With the exception of the people we talked to earlier, which is you know the wine writers are making they're trying to make their careers off of one or the other of these things, but um, the uh, do the farmers that you have chosen to use these things, it is all out of good intention, right? And there might be a tiny bit of marketing, there might even be a lot of marketing, but it's not. It's only because they think it's better for their fields, which brings up the next even more complicated version of it's sort of organic, but more, which is a word that does have specific definitions, and it's biodynamic. Right. And it actually has two definitions because one definition is there is a, an organization, an international organization that has set itself up as the, the organization that determines whether or not you are biodynamic. Now, well, yeah, not that they have any concern for power at all. In let's this case. go back to biodynamic because biodynamic comes from the teachings and writings of an absolute wacko named Rudolf Steiner. You know, it's funny. I, it's funny because I have that word wacko written into the script here. I know. Actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> mine is mine is nutball. Nutball. <laughs> but yeah. if you look up, if you Google Rudolf Steiner, the first things that come up are all of the official uh, and all the official father bio- of biodynamics no it's a highly trained scientist and philosopher yeah uh, and the highly trained scientist part is pretty arguable but among the things that Rudolf Stein I mean and he, he he came up with a philosophy that basically creates remember our definition of sustainable he created a vision for and it was a vision developed for European farms not for California vineyards need to clarify that that the entire farm should be a self-contained unit that would require no input from the outside world in order to become completely productive. So a completely self-sustainable ecosystem on the farm. Beautiful idea. Some of the stuff that he recommends that you do really gets to the far side of the moon. Um, well, uh, the moon plays in a huge part of it. Well, yeah. there, yes, you Including do the have the it, yeah. you do have the dancing naked in the moonlight, and you do have the antlers buried in the ground. And you so have you're to make saying sure I'm biodynamic? Then I, I wouldn't go that far. Rick. <laughs> I would not go that far. I would say you are natural in your own little way, <laughs> and a nutball. But that's other side. <laughs> um, but you know, there are antlers where if you plant them one end, if you plant them in one direction, they send the energy of the universe down into the soil, and if you put them in the dirt, the other way, they take the energy out of the soil and broadcast it out into the universe. This is stuff that's pretty far side of the moon kind of stuff. One of the things, for example, he says is there are treatments you are to develop to spray on your vineyard. People love this one. 
And they are basically created by mixing water and manure and putting it into a cow horn, which you bury mm. on your property. And you know, and the people who defend that, and then you spread you it, yeah, and make it into a mixture. The, and and, and yeah. lots of people do this, and lots of people defend it. But what they do not say is that Rudolf Steiner says that if you don't use a horn from a cow that was raised on your own property, then it won't work. And here's my thought. I'm looking around all these biodynamic vineyards. I don't see any cows with one horn. That's a solid point. And so the, well, Rudolf Steiner says you got to do it this way or it won't work. A number of people are farming according to the Demeter, which is the organization. Yes. And, but Demeter says, oh, no, half of what Rudolf Steiner says doesn't matter. So it's almost as if there's a New Testament and an Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, I was going to say it does sound side like side are you on? You, you pick the religion and decide whether they're actually following. They're following the right. rules now. And, yeah. Do the people who farm biodynamically spend a ton of time in their vineyard making sure everything's right because they have basically no safety net of chemicals? Absolutely. And we we know lots of people at lots of very high end wineries and nurseries too and gardens mm -hmm. where they absolutely swear that their fruit is better, that the vineyards are healthier. Yep. That, and whether it's the attention, whether it's this notion, the notion might boil down to the fact of sort of re, recirculating lots of the stuff that is in your own earth. Right. You know, whatever it is. Right. The ultimate, is. really, the ultimate definition of sustainable. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's lots of folks that, uh, and, but, but it is a controversial term. And there's but one, if you and if you really want to entertain no yourself, behind it. if you really want to entertain yourself, go back and read the original treatise on biodynamics by Rudolf Steiner, and you will walk out thinking. Woo! How did he ever stay out of the nut house? Yeah, well, that's uh, a uh, very good question. And the last one, we're going to talk more about this a bit later in the show, but the last one is natural. And here's the problem with that one. Would it, you like me to give the definition of natural in the wine business? There would be there would be no sound. Here it is. Uh, you see, I was ahead of you because you was <laughs> see he was just sitting there, and we can't have dead air. There well, is no definition. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Not only in wine, but it doesn't mean anything on the side of a cereal box or anything else. Natural doesn't mean anything. That's why I can say that I am all natural. You're all natural yeah, well, all the time. Yeah, um, that is true. So we're going to talk a lot more about that a little bit later. But um, we're we're going to talk a lot more about something that doesn't mean anything at all. Yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and what is new? Why, how is this any different from anything you're else we do? You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly what you're doing, and we're going to move away from this, and we're going to take some questions, natural or otherwise. <laughs> Stay with us. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to take a few questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And look for us on iTunes, please. Really easy to find, and you can subscribe for free with just a little click. If you're new to us and you want to know uh, what we uh, what qualifies us to be talking about uh, Rudolf Shiner as a nutball, <laughs> who doesn't? Our wit is, if not sustainable, at least organic. It's not sustainable, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> Paul is also a respected industry pro. He answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College at the Culinary Institute of America around the world and just recently uh, hosted a group of... Uh, Former Soviets from uh, that's right. The wine industry of Moldova came over to get my advice on how they ought to 
how they ought to approach the world of wine. Which answers the first question, yes, there is a wine industry in Moldova. Absolutely. And and I would like Why to Why they out, came to Paul is another question. Well, I would like to point out that as we talk about sustainable organic and all of that, that uh, it was actually, you've read the Lodi um, um, sustainability guidelines, regulations, which are called the Lodi rules. And it was my job to come up with that name. Well, so every time you see that on a bumper sticker, you can think, they should have hired somebody. That's right. I was going to say, if you don't like it, now you know who to blame. That's right. And uh, Rick uh, wrote a best-selling New York Times book on the barefoot spirit, uh, longtime journalist, wine commentator on national public radio, consults with restaurants, consults with wineries, um, an organic part of the wine business in Sacramento. I like to think that I, too, am sustainable. There you go. Our first question comes from Lisa Texera in Sacramento. Uh, I know Lisa, and she is a bright young woman, and she actually asked me this question. She says she likes box wines, and she's a bit embarrassed to say that, but she said, is, it, is that okay? And what's a good next step for someone just starting out with wine? So the first part of that is really easy, which, yes, of course, it is. it is easy. You get to like what you like, and actually there's plenty of decent box wines. There are some very good box wines. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. box wines for people who want to drink a glass of wine a day, as our health program talked about last week or the week before, um, it is actually a much better container than a bottle because as the wine comes out, no air goes in, and the wine stays fresh much longer in a box than it does in a bottle. So not only are there some good wines in boxes, but in fact the box is a better uh, container dispenser for the day-to-day -day glass of wine wine drinker. And for those day-to-day -day glasses of wine, there's, there are really plenty good. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I know one of the, our best of California wines at the California State Fair was a box was wine. A box wine. Yeah. Yep. So yep. that means it was yep. the best re vote, you know, ruled the best reasoning, and I tasted it. It was delicious. It was yep. delicious. Now, the other question she asks is, what's the next step up? As if boxed wines were somewhere on the bottom, and now right. she's got to move up, which is, and we've just said that's not necessarily an accurate term. In fact, for example, for people who drink far more per capita wine than we do in the U.S., the Australians drink way more of their wine out of boxes because they just like to keep a cold uh, a box in the fridge. Right. They can get a glass whenever they want it. So I would just say, Lisa, if if there's a certain kind of wine you like and you're buying it in a box and you're interested in exploring more about that wine, try some other versions of it. They may cost a little more. You may move up a little in terms of price. Um, but buy, this, buy what you like and you'll find that whether it comes in a box or whether it comes in a bottle, you're going to stay pretty much in that same comfort zone. For Absolutely. You. And the other half of that is, or other piece of that, because I think that was probably two-thirds of it, which is that if it is, whether it's a Chardonnay or Merlot or whatever, that you happen to be drinking is right. um, if you can go to a store where there is somebody in the aisles that can help say, I really like that box wine X. Right. So what is like that in a bottle? And, yep. and then they can point you in that direction as well. Yep. Right. Yep. So our next one is a question we frankly should have a answered a long time ago because we got this uh, in the middle of the summer. Yeah, but we didn't because we didn't know the answer. So we thought if we delayed long enough, we would just put it off forever. Is that what? The well, no, it's because it's from your nephew. Oh. <laughs> and... We thought we'd get him ticked off at you is what we Good, did. Good, yeah. This is from Reed, Reed Wagner, who was in San Mateo. That's right. Uh, but he has moved. Uh, I just moved. So this is— Recently, I, I, by the way, graduated I, from law school. I uh, graduated from law school and moved from the comparative cool San Mateo on the peninsula out to Turlock, where summer temps are in the high 90s. 
He said, people serve a lot, of more, a lot more white wine there. Should I expect my taste in wine to change with the change in the climate? How much does it surround, the surrounding climate change when, with the wine we like and how wine tastes? Well, it doesn't change so much how wine tastes. But what really changes is when you live in hot climate, you have a tendency to eat lighter foods. Yeah. You don't eat so many big, rich stews, and you eat a lot more fish and a lot more salads, and those are white wines. And so that's where you go. Uh, it makes all the sense in the world. It's not so much that your tastes change. It's just that what you're eating is uh, is more white wine friendly, and that's what you end up yeah, and it's easy easy way to think about that is just think about it in, in like the foods that you eat when right. it's hot versus the foods when it's cold yeah. and, and the wines. The the only downside too is um, on a hot day, um, your whites get warm faster. Well, and, <laughs> so you, and you deal with he's going to be in Turlock, yeah. home of Turkey Tech, and when Thanksgiving comes around, he can drink a red wine in the cold. Weather yes. of November, and he'll yes. enjoy when it you just have those, as much in Turlock as he will. When in you have those foggy Decembers, you're going to want a big rib. That's right. Uh, that is it for questions. We have plenty more as in the second half of the show, and a lot more to do. This is uh, Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Coming up, some horrible wine writing. Stay with us. listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, oh, that's that sound, that happy sound that means such that sad means Rick's things are doing ahead. his Afro wig dance. Yes, yes. I look good in that wig though. <laughs> it is time for some really horrible wine writing and what really horrible word did you bring us, Paul? I thought I would talk about a wine that is confident. So you're you're confident you should talk about this? I can't imagine what this actually means. Uh, a confident wine. A confident wine. It is wine. a wine that it, it walks walks briskly into a room and introduces itself. Hello, my name is Merlot. Hello, my name is Merlot. <laughs> what is your name? <laughs> I don't. I have no idea. I have no idea what this means. But, you know, it's one of these things where wines are described as people, and this is a confident wine yeah. that apparently makes friends easily. I don't know. Yeah, You know, we've had this discussion before about wines described as people, and we, we disagree a little bit on one part of it. But I want the individual specific person outlined so, so, That's that, right. it, so that it gives me some image. Right. You know, this, if, if, is this a John Wayne wine? Yes. Then that now would be confident. Talking. Yeah, it's now a big, burly, bright, right. yeah, at least I got that's an image. Right. But confident wine just sounds, it, it, you know, it's that, uh, you know, that, it, we know what it is. It's like that old joke that everybody says, this is a pretentious little number, you know? Right. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, well. Yeah. And, no, it was James Thurber's cartoon that said, it's a, it's, a, it's a charming little domestic burgundy, but I think you'll be amused by its pretension. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, oh, yes. I, well, we are they, not amused by the pretension of that, <laughs> people who use that word. No, but we're amused by just. About everything else. Yeah, it's true. Well, what have you got? I'm amused by this uh, chunk of bad write, wine writing, and feel free to nod off. We'll we'll yell when we're done. Thank you. This is actually just a bit of of of. Um, this is like a, a wine writer not describing a wine, but just talking about an issue. And you want to talk pretension? This is your baby. Here it is. Can you do it with an English accent? I can't do anything with an accent. I wish I could. I'd, I would have made something myself if I had an accent, <laughs> yeah, Paul. All right, go. here we go. Okay. 
It happened again last week as I tasted one of those hooking behemoths, behemoths, excuse me, specimens of the Veneto, the 2003 Valpolicello Superior, made from man-controlled, intentionally dried grapes from a hot and heavy year. It wasted no effort clocking in at 15% alcohol. Yet there was moist earth and authority, plenty of confident fruit and persistence, <laughs> modest Indubitably, no. Out of balance, the answer is in the negative as well. So returned the age-old, oft-asked old question. That's a little weird there, right? Yeah. About the proper echelons of alcohol. With standard bottles now routinely at 14% and beyond, where goes the new normal? Is the alcohol behind beyond the pale? The particulars of this complaint are familiar. Blah, blah, blah. Here's the sentence. Dear Lord. Here's the sentence I like the best. The answer is in the negative as well. Yeah, this is one, wanted... two, three, four, five, nope. six, seven, eight words to say no. Modest, <laughs> indubitably no. This is this is like somebody who went to that class of writer that James Thurber was making fun of. That's and, right. And tried and and thought it was for real. This is is it's this is yeah. it's like a parody and it's it is an amazing bit of writing. I I just So Rick, I have to tell you, it's pronounced Veneto. Veneto. Uh, and it's yes. the 2003 Valpolicella. Yeah, well that's the accent there. Yeah. Um, um, uh, By the way, these are delicious wines. They are. We don't I need. Love, we, we I are, love my Valpolicellas, my friend. We, and whether I get the accent right or not, we uh, we don't mean to imply by the fact that this wine writer wrote no, ridiculous yes. stuff that the wines aren't delicious because they are delicious. That is, a, that is actually, you know, it's we we do we absolutely need to do a show on Italy, um, and mm. not only just the wines that people know, but wines like Valpolicellas are beautiful wines. Beautiful wines. Yeah. All right, you're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us uh, at rickandpaulwine.com. And when we come back, we're going to have a little bit of history for you. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Speaking of unpretentious, now those guys. Those guys are great. Those guys are great, and they those talk so they talk so quietly about themselves. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. It is time for our historic history moment. What historic history do you have for us? Well, you know, we've been talking about natural wine, and we've been talking about minimal human intervention, and you know, one of the big topics in the wine world today is these these so called natural wines made in the traditional. Uh, cement or amphorae fermenters that are kind of like the ones that were used a couple thousand years ago. So I thought, you know, if we really want to be natural, if we really want to go back to the original wine, the original wine was probably carried around not in clay amphorae or anything else, but in goatskin bags. Mm, Rick? Yum. Boda bags. Yeah, yeah. The ultimate modern expression of wine packaging is we're going back to a, a real Boda bag, still got the goat fur on the outside, okay? They're great for parties. And if you want natural wine, that's the way to go. May smell and taste a little bit like a goat, but hey, that's natural. Mmm, goat. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, that's one of the knocks on natural. We'll get to that in a second, too. Uh, but I, I got a little bit more natural wine uh, info as well, besides the fact they were stored in animal skins. 
they among the things that they did, you know, because glass bottles didn't even come around to the middle 1600s, That's early right. the middle 1600s, and That's so they right. weren't sealed in any way with corks or anything. So what the Greeks did, for example, was floated olive oil on the top, right? To because and, and, which the was oxygen, very convenient yeah. because when the wine went bad, you had salad dressing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you were going with that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that I like is because they weren't very good at making wine, <laughs> natural wine as it was. <laughs> So they added things, uh, yes. and also because wine went bad very quickly because they couldn't seal it. So they, these are a few of the things. These are not even all the things that they added. Salt and then burned salt, salt that was actually cooked. That's not like polished barley. No, it? <laughs> it's not like polished <laughs> barley. But they did have boiled wheat, Okay. and then they roasted wheat grain. Yeah. So they Now, by the way, one of the reasons you add anything that has been toasted or roasted to wine um, is that it forms a kind of charcoal, and charcoal filters out. Uh, unpleasant aromas. Yeah. So some of these actually are fixing that problem. Yeah, they're trying to fix that, right. And then there's all these spices like clove and cinnamon and cardamom, mustard powder. They put in milk. that would make a confident wine. A mustard powder wine? You put wine That is a confident wine. That is, yeah, no messing there with that. You don't mess with a wine with mustard powder. Milk, on the other hand, maybe a little less confident. Tree sap. Okay, so let me talk about milk for a second. Because you know that one of the problems even today is we occasionally see a bottle that has this combination of mold and chlorine that forms TCA. It's called cork taint, and it makes the wine smell moldy. I'll bet you didn't know this, but if you added a little milk to that wine, shook it up, and waited for the milk particles to settle to the bottom, it will take that chemical out of the wine. Well, the the what you're saying is because the, it bonds with the protein in the milk, and then it, uh, and it all settles to the bottom. I've known that for years because even as a child, I poured wine into my milk. <laughs> my parents thought they'd try to shut me up quickly. Here's a couple other you things. You slept like a baby. Tree sap, holly Tree sap. leaves, pepper, ash, eggshells, sand. They used to dip torches in, in pitch, stick them in, mm-hmm. river water. And of course, and we've talked about this on the shows, lead. Lead. Really anything sweet, but lead made it sweet. Lead Killed makes... them, but it made it sweet. Well, you know, what a sweet way to go. <laughs> we don't do puns here, remember? <laughs> I keep trying to tell you that. <laughs> right. We don't do okay. a lot here. Um, <laughs> but we are trying to clarify the uh, at least a little bit or explain a little bit about uh, things, including the phrase natural wine. And one of the things that I think is difficult for now, regular now, wine consumers. Speaking of which. None of the items you've just listed added by the ancients would disqualify a wine from being organic. Right. So you could – there you go. So you if can have – you wanted to dip a torch dipped in pitch into your wine, that's absolutely organic should you want to do it. It would also make it natural, completely natural. There you uh, go. I think the mustard powder is the one. <laughs> um, all right. But spe- so spe- the thing about the problem for many wine drinkers about natural wine is is also it's not just what it is and defining it because there are no rules to define it, but right. also the way that the advocates and then the anti-advocates too. But the advocates are worse in this case simply because it's ours is good so yours isn't. Right. Um, and so there's a, too, a little too much of that. But uh, right. the way they talk about it, uh, um, a, a guy we respect a lot, Eric Asimov, is New York Times wine columnist says it sounds like Talmudic bickering. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking Dude. about something that's so minute and Angels so, on the head of a pin. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Now, there is some argument for this idea of going back towards natural wine. It's sort of a reaction to, you know, this in some cases overplanting some grapes in places they don't belong. And then in some cases, 
whether you like it or not, standardizing some styles. For some people, right. that's a good thing, that the wine right. tastes the same all right. the time. But for some people, that's not. So you can right. see why they would be advocates. But the problem is it leads to often leads to name-calling and that sort of thing. And this was—I got this from— it was a pretty pretty popular high end blog where they went to uh, a big name blogger and to a woman who's a master of wine. This means she's one of the very highly educated and passed, a pretty well respected right, person. the exam. Right. So um, uh, the 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 wine writer person took the Donald Trump approach. Mm-hmm. He said consumers apparently love natural wine. Okay, we got to just argue with that sense. Most consumers have no clue no what idea it what is, that but means. they like the idea. His friends love natural. They wine. like the idea yeah. of wines being natural, but it, they when they when confronted with how wines are made, they would probably conclude that most wines are natural. Yep. Yep. Uh, but this is him again. The only people who don't seem to are self-appointed arbiters of taste with letters after their names. Ooh. Expensively educated experts who feel threatened because their MW studies didn't prepare them for anything unorthodox. Wow. Sadly, many wine authorities aren't adventurous and have forgotten that wine is supposedly be about enjoyment. Not that this guy has forgotten that. Okay, but... We agree with the last line. Wine's supposed to be about yes, enjoyment. Yes, that's the only point. If you want to drink wine because you want to get an argument as to whether biodynamic, organic, natural, or sustainable is the right thing to do, we're not your guys. No. And actually, I thought the MW's arguments was she basically said, you choose what you like. My argument is I don't happen to like many, but I like some, but I don't like them all. Right. And, and right. But, but, but her line was, and this is the, a line I've heard before, not protecting wine with reasonable sulfur dioxide, SO2 is, as we call it, right. is something that kills bacteria and helps sterilize yeah. wine sometimes. She says not protecting with SO2 is like refusing a vaccine. All mm-hmm. right, now that's the same kind of, it's a very different social d- debate. It's the same kind yes, of it is. sort of scare And the same kind of religious overtones. Right, right. and, and, and yeah. that is the whole point. It's great if you don't. We think all of these people, this brings to mind the great line from Humphrey Bogart. I love Humphrey Bogart. M- most of the problems of the world are because everybody's a couple of drinks behind. You know, you know, you get the natural wine people and the, way and the other bogey. people. That's right. You put them down at a table. You let them drink a couple of glasses of wine, and I'll bet all of this just plain disappears. Yeah. Well, so the the arg- the argument for the natural wine folks is right. the, You know, the the real argument when you take away all the awful. Um, name calling is that you know that wine is a living thing that sometimes it might not be as good as other times right. and that if it, that you get a sense of where it came from and mm-hmm. maybe and even who made it who made it yeah um, and you know and so that, all of that is well and good right understood right at the same time when I'm plunking out let's say $160 for a bottle of Dom Perignon to use an example of a wine that is a an extremely good wine and is not, I think, by definition, natural. Um, I want to make sure that wine is absolutely predictably very much like the last bottle I had at Dom Perignon. Yeah. I do not want to be dropping that kind of money on a bottle of wine and then find out that, well, grapes didn't really cooperate this year. It came out a little thin, a little weak, but, you know, we hope you like it. Right. I'm sorry. When I'm paying good money for a bottle of wine, I want to make sure that the bottle I get is going to taste really good to me. And if that means, and I am not implying that the people who make Dom Perignon use weird and wild chemicals. Because but they don't. It's a secondary fermentation. Absolutely. It's a manipulative process. That's actually a very large good point that any sparkling wine made the way any, all great sparkling wines are made now. Right. Um, with this, Well, there's another thing, and we're, we'll, we'll talk about that another time because uh, 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 that's uh, another group of annoying people. Yeah. But <laughs> 
Yes. Um, well, and and here's the other part of it too that I think is unfair to the vast majority of wine consumers. First off, what most people want, and they are okay with things being different on occasion, but what. But to most people, the vast majority, including people that are on wine lists for the most expensive and difficult to get wines, are yep. often people, they still want it to be reliable. It they is in it. a way like yes. a product. If you bought a box of cereal that you've always loved and it tasted really different once, you might come back. If it tasted really bad twice, you're done oh, with it. Not only bad, just different. Yeah, just different. And so, so here, let's, let's put the scenario, you're in a restaurant. It's a very small restaurant. They only have six wines on the list. Five of them you've never heard of. One of them is from a big company that you've had before, and it and you know that you like the wine. You're there with your father-in-law, and he says, why don't you order a bottle of wine? Which one are you going to order? Oh, yeah. Of course. Well, of course. Now, I understand— In case anybody's wondering what the conclusion is, it's the it's one the you one know. It's the one that you know <laughs> is not going to make your father-in-law look at you and say, yeah. my daughter married an idiot. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that my, is my father the, does still say that <laughs> the, the wine won't solve that problem <laughs> yeah, for you, Rick. And he doesn't drink too. But that's the you know on the on the natural side of things, they say, well, that kind of variation is to be expected, and it's okay. And the answer is, it's okay in some situations. In other situations, I'm I'm not willing to plop fifty dollars down on something that's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, right, the right. normal place that I'm willing to dump fifty dollars in a crapshoot is, in fact, a crapshoot. Right. There, and there's the uh, there's another part that that bothers me so much because there's a phrase that come phrase that comes up and I just think it's so completely unfair. Which is you know if it's not natural then it's industrial. That's the right. You say that right. all or, like or the one I like is they call it commercial. Commercial. Well, yes. Yes, that's a bad thing. Is there a winery that's in business that is not commercial? Because if they're in business and they're not commercial, they are not by the broader definition sustainable. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this sort of brings, right, it brings up a whole lot of things, and, and one of them is exactly that, you know, that, that the first thing that every, any winery needs to do is stay in business. Otherwise, they can't make right. wine. And it, they are, you know, it is true that many people get into the business now, especially now, you know, for the romance of it and all that sort of thing. But, mm-hmm. but, but the people who buy wine, they're not buying, they're buying romance that they want to enjoy. They're not buying That's somebody right. else's romance. They're buying their own romance. That's right. And so, you know, it yep. is, that, you know, Industrial has become this insult. We could be completely wrong. I mean, there are people who pay a whole lot of money to get jeans that have been pre-stressed and torn because it looks more natural and organic. Maybe that's what this is all about, and people want their wines to taste like they got beaten up or caught in a bar fight or borrowed from their older brother after he'd worn them for seven years, and maybe that's what they're buying. Well, I don't don't know that those are natural. Uh, uh, They're industrially (laughs) pre-stressed, so... Yeah. So what's it come down to? Uh, you know, look, there's uh, for, for if for consumers, we say this. Don't get caught up in it. Don't let don't let the name calling on either side make you hate one or the other. Right. If you want to taste natural wines, go for it. Love if you love them. That is amazing. Actually, it, again, because the word natural has no definition, it, what, you can't go they? taste natural wines you, right, anyway. You, but you I would say to, to Rick's point, try Lots of different wines. Keep drinking the ones you like and get rid of the ones that disappoint you. And that's the way it works. And don't let the labels, uh, and yeah, don't let the labels get in the way. And if you want to, if you want to make moral judgments on your wine, probably you're better in the world of sustainability than anything else. Well, I think if you yeah. want to make moral judgments in your wine, you should go to Catholic Mass and you should judge the wine served at communion. 
Oh, yeah. See, well, now we really get into What it. if you're not Catholic? Well, then, I don't know. You guys yeah. right. All right. Well, we're, I, in short, <laughs> let it go. Sometimes <laughs> wine can just be something to drink. Sometimes, Sometimes you just want a glass of wine. Yes. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and actually we are going to go back to some questions from our listeners. Cool. A reminder, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com, and we will give you tre- credit unless you'd prefer not. <laughs> Many people do. <laughs> and don't forget, you can find us on iTunes as well. All right, so this next question comes from Maya in Vallejo. Uh-huh. Um, this is a question I get asked a lot because one of the places where I do classes has wine on taps. But mm-hmm. she says, we mm-hmm. were in a place that had wines on tap, and they were some of the very most expensive wines by the glass. My yep. boyfriend said that those wines are their, should be their cheapest, and they were ripping us off. He usually He's usually pretty cheap about stuff, but is he right about this? I've heard you give relationship advice before, too. So any ideas how I find a boyfriend who isn't such a cheapskate? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Maya, I think we should take a second one first. Oh, Uh, boy. I I was so prepared to answer the first one and ignore the second one. No, I, I, yeah, I I say— Well, the uh, way to find a boyfriend who's not a cheapskate is to order something nice on your first date. If If he turns pale and asks for help with the bill— then you got an issue. You know, we, we had a question once about from somebody who they, on a first date, and and the the guy took a really long time to order wine. Right. So that's another thing. If you let him choose the wine, you can see where he's getting. Yeah, but I would just go ahead and choose the wine and watch him pay for it. Yeah. And and order something nice. You know, even if it's by the glass, order a really nice glass, and if that becomes an issue, then you know he's a cheapskate. Or even before that, you can also su- suggest an expensive restaurant. An expensive see if, restaurant, yeah, yes. Would yeah. you like to get together for coffee? No. Let's go to the French Laundry for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In two months, because that's <laughs> but yes. At best, yeah. All right, so probably not. Uh, more to the point, maybe maybe a little better advice is don't, do not worry about um, the, the wine. Some wines on tap are very good. Some wines are inexpensive. In fact, there's a big movement. And I don't want to say a big movement. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of the wine produced in America. But there are some producers of very good wine who remember our bag-in-the-box question. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, for a restaurant, the bag-in-the-box isn't quite as elegant a solution as a as a keg. And that's what these are. These are wines in keg. Mm-hmm. Um, but they provide the same sort of uh, air-free service. My biggest concern when I order wine by the glass in a restaurant is I'm one of these guys who likes to try the weird stuff. And I ha- I always have you, this. You are what you drink, Paul. <laughs> I am what I drink. <laughs> and I'm always afraid as I order that Valpolicella Superiore that you were talking about in your wine criticism that I'm the only guy who's asked for a glass of this wine in the last three weeks. Right. And they're going to bring out a bottle that's been open for three weeks right. and the wine's going to be awful. Yeah, that is. And that by the tap, the wines don't go yeah, bad. I, I say almost any red by the glass, that's always your concern. And a lot of restaurants, you'll see them sitting behind the bar and that sort of thing. You know, yep. Whites by the glass. They're in the fridge. They're fine for a day or two. So, so by the tap, what you get is a fresh wine. Some restaurants, including one of the pl- places where I put in a wine list, prefer that their wine by the taps be be among their less expensive wines for precisely the reason that right that, because customers yeah. may re- yes, may... but but don't be put off by right. an expensive wine by the tap. It may yeah. of, often be a very good one. And, and I do want to say, you know, there the master sommeliers will teach you that when you open a bottle of wine at a restaurant, the proper thing to do is for somebody to note the date and time that oh, yeah. bottle was opened. On the bottle. Absolutely. So that you can go through at any point in a restaurant and look at the bottle and say, oh, man, this was open four years ago. I think I'd like a fresh bottle now. (laughs) I think I teased that wine the other night. (laughs) All right. This one is from Allison in San Diego. I was in a restaurant and ordered a Pinot Noir from Oregon, and the server said I pronounced the name of the region wrong. 
Then another service that I had gotten it right. Then the two of them started arguing. It's <laughs> beautiful. So I have a couple of questions. How do you pronounce Willamette? That okay. is your answer. Willamette, damn it. Yeah. That's that's always the joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, Oregonians are good at this because yes. they came up with a standard phrase. You can't get it wrong after you've heard it once. It's, it's Willamette, damn, damn it. it. Right. Uh, the second part of her question says, does it matter if I get it wrong and how come these two yahoos still have a job? <laughs> uh, second of all, it doesn't matter if you get it wrong. And I have no idea why those two yahoos still have jobs because one of the first things you're taught in any good restaurant service training module is no matter what the customer says, you never correct their pronunciation or correct what they say about a dish. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that before and will again. Yep. Um, but uh, that is... Uh that's that's one of the world's most annoying. But I love the scene things. where they're arguing over yes. it in the restaurant. I mean that that's a Steve Martin it is. scene, isn't it? I, I mean that's just you see them slapping each other. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. And one of them would have a British accent, and one of them would have a French accent, and they would both be going yes. at it, hammer and tongue. <laughs> All right. Oh my God, that's beautiful. All right, we are zipping up the mailbag. Moving on. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word: Rick and Paul Wine. And coming up, we have a food and wine pairing for you. Stay with us. listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it is time for our food pairing. And this is a good one. I like this. This is the right for this time of year. Chapino. Okay. Chapino. Oh, my Chupino. God. I love it's, uh, It is what, by the way, and I do know this because I am a San Franciscan. Uh, okay. It is not, it's, that is not an Italian dish. It was a dish that was invented in the United States. And yet I have had it served to me in Italy. Oh, yeah. It's, it's moved, moved it's backwards. Moved, yeah, yeah. It's moved It back. was actually a West Coast dish, and, and San Francisco gets credit for inventing it because it was a way to put all these different seafoods into an Italian stew in San Francisco. Of course, I'm a hungry whole bunch again. Of Why do we do this show right before lunch? I'm always hungry. I know. Okay, so, all right, Chapino, quickly, because we only have a minute. Uh, Italian, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't mind a, a simple light red like a Chianti, not even a Chianti class. Just a Chianti, or I'm going to pull a wine that we talked about earlier today, not the Amarone, but just a regular Valpolicella. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go very Californian, and here's why. I mm-hmm. think the spiciness in a Zin will pick it up. Ah. And not a big, big muscular Zin, yeah. but a bit, but a lighter Zin. And I've actually had that with it. Uh, I had a Zin with when I was in San Francisco not so long ago. And okay. It worked really well. Good. All right. That is it for Bottle Talk uh, with Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to Cattle Public Radio for the studio use. Uh, if you'd like to ask us a question, go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything today, we'd, we hope it's drink wine you like and don't get caught up in labels, even the ones that say Paul is all natural. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> and I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us.